Welcome to Chatterbox Hub podcast, which is dedicated to all things audio, voiceovers and media productions. I'm your host, Yulia Stancheva. In this episode, audiobooks are in the spotlight again. It's fair to say they have become a genre of entertainment consumption in their own right, as my special guest in the show highlights. Many people are still wired to be better stimulated by spoken word rather than written. So if you're an author who is not pursuing this book format yet, you're missing out on an entire audience. We'll keep exploring the thrilling world of audiobooks, but this time through the lens of an audiobook producer, Tamsin Collison, who will help us understand in depth the production process of audiobooks. Tamsin has been working as a freelance audio producer and director for over 20 years now and has directed some of the finest writers and actors in the country across an incredibly wide range of material for many of the UK's leading publishing houses. Hello, Tamsin. Thank you for agreeing to share your experience and thoughts with us on such an intriguing topic. My absolute pleasure to be here, Yulia. Nice to meet you too. I read your resume. It's so impressive. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. It's a proper freelance, isn't it? I'll do it. What is it? Okay, I'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're definitely the best person to be interviewed for this podcast. <laughs> there are so many reasons audiobooks are soaring in popularity now. From their incredible convenience, making chores at home or long journeys on the road fun, aiding our sleeps and even evoking powerful emotions in us through the magic voice of their narrators. How did you fall in love with audiobooks? Well, I've always been um, a fan of storytelling ever since I was little. I was very lucky when I was a kid. My parents used to read aloud to us. Um, I then read aloud to my younger brother in, a, in an attempt to force feed him the books I loved and he wasn't reading. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, throughout my career I've I've worked in storytelling in one way or another and uh, audiobooks was just a natural progression of that. Um, when I started working in uh, this area about, about 20 years ago. Wow impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I was asked uh, always you know oh is that for the blind and I haven't been asked that question in 10 years or so. So that just shows you how the industry has changed and how audiobooks have now become a genre of um, entertainment consumption in their own right. People would expect an audiobook to be something that you know, an actor would do as a job rather than for a charity in their spare time. Yeah, yeah. For me, audiobooks offer escapism. They can transport us to different places that might not necessarily be real or even different times and dimensions. There is something so magical about them that enriches our lives and um, enhances our imagination. But of course, there is a lot of unseen work behind the make of an audiobook, and the role of the producer is absolutely essential. So, can you please explain in a nutshell, what does the work of an audiobook producer encompass? Do you create a plan for the production? How much are you involved in the casting and the booking process, in the direction of the voices? Yes, of course. Well, the first thing to understand about audio is that producer and director are the same job. In television, you will see at the end in the credits, it says you know, produced by, directed by. Yeah. Um, but in audio, there isn't the money to pay two people. <laughs> so um, if you see anything that says produced by, it means that person 
directed whatever you're listening to unless it says produced by directed by with a separate credit but if it doesn't then that means that it's a catch-all term in the audio industry an audio producer is a director and therefore um you know actors who are looking to contact directors don't look for someone else other than the producer because that will be the person that you need um it's really how long is a piece of string i guess because there are so many different ways of producing audiobooks from the self-produced home recordings that people sell to ACX and other yeah. online marketplaces right through to um you know big shiny production houses within publishing companies who have in-house production staff who do all the scheduling booking and and casting and arranging of the whole process from beginning to end and at that point the audio producer director is only one link on the chain. So it, you know, it you could be anything from organizing the whole thing, finding the studio, booking the dates, booking the actors, finding someone to edit it and post-produce it, um, turning up to direct it yourself, through to just turning up on the day having prepped the book and directed, and then send the annotated script off to an editor who will then take it on and finish it off for you. So it could be anything anything along the line but I would say that the stages that need to be covered if this is helpful are supposing you're you're asked to produce an audiobook from scratch yeah the first thing you need to work out is whether or not you need to pay copyright on it um if it's a book that's within copyright which I think is 70 years from the death of the author then you're going to have to pay some you or the, or the publishing house whoever it is is going to have mm-hmm. to pay something to the author's estate or agent or whatever so there's that which is the first cost I see um you're going to need to get the script into the right format Mm -hmm. um so it's really not advisable to read out of a out of a physical book because the page turns are really noisy the paper is not studio friendly the print is going to be cramped there's it's not um it's not physically a good thing to use so I mean sometimes people uh, in the old days down at um, BBC Worldwide in Bath they used to photocopy and blow up each page of the book for the <laughs> obviously then tear them up because of right copyright but for the purposes of the studio it was easier to read the book enlarged so that's a photocopying cost or you need to get it um, into a word document into a word document um, it's not going to magically happen by itself so someone's <laughs> going to have to do that um, hopefully the publisher will provide you with you know a pdf or a word document that is formatted friendly it's you want it kind of one and a half to double spacing for it to be easy for the actor to read and to put notes in so um, one and a half is probably more environmentally friendly <laughs> um so you've got to get the script sorted um you have got to um obviously read the script cast a reader either in discussion with the publisher or on your own if if it's a self-produced project uh you've got to find a studio that you can afford you've got to work out how many days you're going to need in the studio you've got to negotiate fees with the agent for the reader you've got to prep the book you've got to read it yourself and figure out uh, you know create a pronunciate create a pronunciation list yeah um which could be anything from you know a factual book about um 
the geopolitics of the South China Seas, which is going to need all kinds of different pronunciations from different countries, um, through to um, a, a Dickens book, which might have archaic English words in it that you might not, or your reader might not recognise mm-hmm. straight away. It's very easy when you're reading a book to yourself to prep it, to go, yeah, 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 I know what that means, and and skate over it without thinking when you are recording and reading this book, you are the authority on this text and everything has to be right. So you can't just guess at how something should be pronounced. So I have to do a lot of preparation. Very thorough preparation of the text for the producer as well as the actor. I mean, the actor should be doing this work as well. And I'll bring you back to that subject later. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, so then uh, you turn up at the studio. If you are self-producing it, have you got sandwiches for the actor at lunchtime? If it's going to be a full day, you know, when you work for a studio, often they will organise um, lunch as part of the deal for the reader and the producer. But if you're doing it yourself, have you got tea, coffee, milk, sandwiches? Is there somewhere nearby you can go out and get something at lunchtime? So you are like goddess Shiva. <laughs> you yeah, have so much. many hands. <laughs> you have to oversee the whole process exactly. and be involved in so many different stages exactly. organizing booking everything. Taxis, booking taxis. If you're using a big name and they don't want to use public transport, you know, someone's got to book the car. Again, hopefully, if you're working for an existing publishing company or production house, they will do that. But if you're self if you're doing the whole thing yourself, A to Z, then you know, how are you going to get your actor to the studio and away? Then uh, once you've actually got your audio recorded, um, you've got to get it edited. Either that is you doing it yourself and mm-hmm. uh, if you're self-producing or sending it off to um, whoever you've hired to do the post-production on it, which is everything from editing to mastering and finishing the thing and post putting it into whatever the final um, you know, incarnation of the reading is, whether it's online or on a disc. Um, and then at some point, again, if it's just you, you're going to have to do a post-production playback proof lesson, make sure that all the edits are correct and nothing slipped and you haven't left any mistakes in. You yourself are not in the recording at all. You haven't left yourself in giving instructions at any point. Um, and then you pour yourself a large gin and tonic and have a lie down. <laughs> Absolutely, for a well-deserved job. And I guess that all of this has to be done in a very short period of time from the whole production process, from start to finish, knowing how sometimes those audiobooks have to be, have to be recorded within a very short notice. Again, yes, it depends. Um, if you're working for a publisher or a production house, yes, it's increasingly the case that, you know, the last chapter isn't finished while you start recording the first one because they want to publish the book and the audio simultaneously. Mm. In the past, we've been kind of filling in the back catalogue of things. So it hasn't mattered so much. You're not chasing a publication deadline. But now, um, as we've sort of caught up with ourselves and and now where most audio, most books are offered the option of our an audio version you know in the old days it was let's do the classics let's do the prize winners let's do a limited number of titles now it seems to me that most books have an audio option um, and therefore people are working to publication deadlines much more than they used to be and yes it does all have to be done um, with a pretty speedy turnaround yeah and you have recorded over 400 audiobooks with some of the finest writers yes. and actors in UK. Well, let me say it again, 400 audiobooks, uh, just in case if someone didn't get that number. <laughs> <laughs> you have been directing so many audiobooks that have been narrated by stars, by 
very popular actors like um, all the sonnets of Shakespeare, read by Kenneth Branagh, and A Christmas Carol, performed by Hugh Grant. And I'm sure that the list goes on and on. <laughs> if those, those were a couple of, uh, of ones that were done quite recently. The, the Christmas Carol was last year's uh, Christmas present to Audible's subscribers. And that was turned around incredibly quickly because um, Hugh Grant didn't have, you know, he only had a day and a half free in his diary very close to Christmas and we were literally recording it in the studio and sending each section through to the editor who was sitting next door who was editing as we went so we turned it around from um, recording the book to posting it online in a week wow amazing uh, which was insane (laughs) I would not recommend that Luckily, it wasn't a very long book. Is there any difference um, between working with actors who um, have such a big popularity and others who are not so known? I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it, it's there's a certain um, baggage that comes with celebrity readers, for sure, which isn't always carried by them. But, you know, they come with, with teams and, you know, you'll have your studio booked and you'll be settled settled down and and ready to go and they'll say oh they've got to do an interview at two o'clock with someone or other or they've got an audition at four they've got to leave to present an award and you're going but we've booked two days and we've only got two days and this book takes two days they can't leave at four o'clock but they do you know because they are spread thinly yeah um, and and because you know sometimes the people that are working with them don't appreciate how much work goes into an audiobook and how tiring it is in studio you know they think oh it's just reading a book it's fine they can leave that and you think oh, it's not that simple really <laughs> so so that is that can be an issue um also with with big names you get very last minute cancellations you know just when you're ready to go and they they suddenly have filming that overruns or something yeah um so that can be a problem but otherwise do they take directions very easily and humbly <laughs> yes 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 i mean you know most of them most of them have got to where they are because they're, you know, they they work hard and they're very good. Some, you know, in the same way that you might get the occasional person who discovers in the studio that perhaps they're not cut out for audiobooks. That could be somebody who is, you know, um, marquee famous in cinema, or it could be someone who's just, you know, decided they want to have a go and have discovered that they're not very good at it. There are some people I know whose entire career is audiobooks who you will never have heard of, but you will have heard them without doubt reading um, because they're, they're so good, they're never out of work and they are reliable and prepared and they have nice voices to listen to. And, you know, if, as you said earlier, you know, audiobooks should transport you to another world into someone else's imagination. Yeah. And it shouldn't matter who it is who's doing the transporting. And indeed, sometimes hearing a recognisable voice can get in the way of the story. Yeah. You know, it's better to have a voice you don't know because then you just listen to the story and you're not yeah. going, oh, my goodness, I'm listening to <laughs> X, Y or Z reading this book. I mean, it's nice if you get somebody very famous with a very beautiful voice. The intimacy of audiobooks means that they are reading this book specifically for you, the single listener. And it's that you get an intimate connection with an artist that you don't get in any other medium. It's kind of a private recital as you put your headphones on. But I would say there's no difference um, between um, the ability of somebody famous or somebody not. And often, often the better readers are, are 
you know, ones, as I say, that you won't, that you will have heard, but you won't have heard of. You won't have seen them on TV or on cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you might see them, you know, in a, in a small part in a, in Endeavour and go, I know that person, I know that person and not know why. And of course, you've listened to 15 books by them, but you have never put a face to the name. Yeah. Surely the voice of a narrator can be an absolute make or break. Oh, God, yes. So getting the casting right is crucial and a huge responsibility. Yes, absolutely. What do publishers like you need to look out for in an audiobook narrator when it comes to casting and choosing the right voice? There is nothing worse than starting a recording and going, oh, my God, this is the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> and I am lucky that that in 400 audiobooks has very rarely happened to me. Um, when I started out, because my background was in radio drama when I started out in, in, in the business. At the BBC, right? So, yes. So I, 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 I had my apprenticeship listening to lots and lots of good voices over a concentrated period of time. So I kind of knew what, what good voices were and what, what you're listening for in, in, in a good voice. So when I first started producing audiobooks as a freelancer, um, I was being asked partly because of that experience, I guess, to do a lot of the casting suggestions myself. Um, but this was in the days when audiobooks were just taking off um, and most publishing houses didn't have anything more than perhaps one person in-house who was the audio editor who would be commissioning audio recordings but didn't have any production experience or any... Why should they have? They come from print publishing. Mm -hmm. So they would recruit the people they needed as freelance from outside. As the industry has expanded and and audio has become a much more natural part of publishing, um, they tend to have departments within in-house, you know, two or three people rather than one person within a publishing house like Penguin or, or HarperCollins. And they tend to hire you as part of the chain and do the casting themselves in-house. And that's often a relief because taking the responsibility of getting the right voice is can be, you know, considerable. But the flip side is that sometimes publishers cast somebody who they have seen on the telly in a part in the book or a name that they that they really appeals to them or that has a, what they think would be a big draw. And they don't think about necessarily how suitable for the book that voice is. And that can be really hard yeah. because you have to make what you've been given work. And I suppose that's really where the skill of an audio director comes in. Because if, if you've got the perfect voice and an actor who's really good at it, you, know, you just sit back and make sure you don't hear their stomachs rumbling. But if you've got somebody who's not so suited to the material, then you have to work really quite hard to make, to make it work. Without without making the actor feel yeah. um, undermined or unconfident. So it, it can be quite tricky. So when you are casting for the right voice for an audiobook, what would you look for in a narrator? You need to um, think about the material, about the, you know, if you've got, if you're doing a, a Victorian novel, then you don't want a really contemporary sounding voice. Um, you know, you don't want a, a, a modern, punchy um, voice from, um, I can't think off the top of my head, you know, what, I don't know what the equivalent is now of um, those Friday Night Channel 4 kind of pop culture shows there used to be like the tune. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you cast someone just because they're famous and people know who they are, if they're not appropriate for the 
tone or mood or period of the book, then it's pointless. Um, it needs to be somebody with clear diction um, and a good solid core to their voice. If you've got someone who mumbles, you have to think that um, people are listening to audiobooks in lots of different contexts. So if they're driving or um, listening on headphones while they're walking on you know, going for a walk, um, if somebody's voice is very, very quiet or drops out a lot, um, you know, you're going to lose half of what they say. So yeah. um, they need a, a certain amount of technique. I would say you want an actor um, or a reader with good technique because if a voice tires at the end of the day and you come in the next day, there's going to be a massive difference between the exhausted sound of 5.30 the day before and the I've had a good night's sleep voice of the next morning. Um, <laughs> alternatively, you know, if you're someone who warms up through the day and is not a morning person, you could have the opposite problem the next day. So you do need people with a an understanding of mic technique and voice technique. Um, you need you need to look at, you know, how many accents are they going to need? Do you is the narrator in uh, does the narrator have a native accent? Um, if not, would it matter if they did have, you know, um, not every book needs to be read in RP. Uh, and by RP, I mean um, standard English where you can't tell where somebody comes from. If it's a, a non-specific novel, does that mean that there should be a standard accent or would it be fine to read it with a Welsh accent and just have a Welsh narrator? You know, do you have to, you have to, because as soon as you make a choice about the accent of the narrator, you're making a statement about the book. And sometimes that doesn't matter, but sometimes it does. If it is set in a particular part of the country can you find an actor who has that natural accent who's good because that's better than hiring someone who's got to put that accent on for two days are they good at act are they good at other accents you know you might do a book set in Glasgow but actually there's a character from Essex in it there's a character from the Highlands in it there's a character from Bradford in it as well as the Glaswegian narration you're going to need somebody who can do that convincingly enough that it's not going to jar. I think the important thing is that when you listen to an audiobook, it's a contract of trust between the listener and the reader. The listener is assuming that the reader knows what they're talking about. And that goes for nonfiction. You know, if you're doing a book about, um, again, you know, the geopolit geopolitics of the South China Sea, you as an actor are almost undoubtedly not going to be an expert on that but the author is and you are speaking on behalf of the author therefore you have to speak with authority and confidence if there's any doubt in your voice whether that is um, how to pronounce a name or the fact that the sentence is nine sen nine lines long and you're going to run out of breath whatever it might be anything where the actor wavers for a second the listener will hear the actor instead of the author or the character who's speaking and the trust is broken and the listener yeah. no longer trusts the actor. There is a different approach in narration when it comes to fiction and non-fiction genres to make sure that you will cater for an exciting and memorable listening experience. I, I would say never pick a narrator just because you fancy working with them, maybe. Mm -hmm. yeah, just make sure that whoever you cast is suited to that particular title. And if they're not, put them on a list and use them for something else. Don't try and shoehorn them into a title which doesn't sit well with them because you can be miscast in an audiobook just like you can be miscast in a play.
or a film. I'm sure as a producer, you have um, come across many idiosyncrasies of audiobook narration and oddities. <laughs> yes. What would be the biggest ones <laughs> from your personal experience? Um, I suppose um, people who breathe with sort of gasps um, is difficult because you've got to take those all out. <laughs> um I worked with one actress who'd never done an audiobook before who thought you weren't supposed to breathe at all and filled her lungs up before every single line wow. in the book. And it was only on the second day when I thought, wait, I asked her what she was doing. And she said, well, and I just, you know, I thought, and I said, no, 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 breath is life. Breath is, you know, we hear the look on your face by the way mm -hmm. you breathe. We don't want to be aware of your breathing because you haven't thought about it. <laughs> But we would never cut all the breaths out of an audiobook because that would be mad. Very fake. Yeah, it wouldn't sound natural. Yeah, very fake. It would sound, you might as well get a computer to do it because the life is, you know, breath is life. Um, I would say you have to be wary of speech impediments. If somebody's got a very, very soft R and you're doing a book about the Womans, <laughs> yeah, Woman Britain, that would be, that would be daft to cast somebody who can't say their R's for a book about the Romans because it'll just become funny, particularly because of Monty Python's Life of Brian and any kind of <laughs> <laughs> echoes of that would just make it, would make it funny. Uh, bad lisps. I mean, every, I have a slight lisp. Most people do. But if it's really, really lispy, that sibilance becomes really distracting. Yeah? yeah. So you have to watch out for that. I once worked, it wasn't actually an audio book, but I worked with somebody who had a terrible click and we couldn't work out what it was. It was an elderly guy and I thought perhaps he hadn't stuck his teeth in properly and I didn't couldn't feel I felt I couldn't say that to him. That's a very tricky situation. But it turned out to be um uh, I mean he came back to do another radio program with somebody else not with me. Um and uh it, it turned out that there was a it was cartilage in his jaw that clicked. So mm. there was nothing anyone could have done about that. Wow. Uh, and I had to do 96 edits in three minutes to get the clicks out with a razor blade, wow. may I say. <laughs> so, um, you know, you don't know what you're going to get until they come into the studio. Uh, one other thing that can be an issue, it's not insurmountable, but um, dyslexia can put a lot of time onto a studio session. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't work with a dyslexic actor, but I would need to know that they were. So you can factor more hours in the studio. Yeah, and that they have strategies for dealing with it. You know, do they need script in a different font or on a different colour background or something yeah. that might help? But actors who turn up struggle for three hours and then say, well, of course I am dyslexic, are <laughs> it's a bit heartbreaking because yeah. you're then stuck with it and you could have helped out. If you knew in advance. I think people are nervous that if they say I'm dyslexic, you're going to say, well, we can't use you then. And that's not always the case. To be hand on heart honest, it might be the case if you're looking at something like Anna Karenina, which is full of Russian names and about 900 pages long, and you'd be insane to cast somebody with severe dyslexia to read that. They would be insane to say yes to it because they'll have a miserable time. But it's not it's not impossible, you know, as, as to, to do to do to do recordings like that. It's just we need to know in advance what we what we're dealing with. That's a very good point. Narrating and producing an audiobook is an absolute marathon. You have to make sure you are ready for countless hours in the studio and ensure you don't go into autopilot. How do you prepare physically and mentally for your job as a producer? 
And what advice do you give to narrators to be adequately prepared for their job? That's a good question. I think the most important thing for a director to do is to be able to put a reader at ease quickly because we don't have rehearsal time. We don't have getting to know you time. We don't throw colourful balls around the studio to warm up. (laughs) We meet somebody by the kettle, we make a cup of coffee and we start. And that is asking a huge amount of an actor who doesn't know you. You know, you say, how do you do? Do you take sugar? And then you start criticising their performance 10 minutes later, you know, stopping and saying, I'm really sorry. No, that's Mm. not how, you know, we need to do that again. And it'd be very difficult if you don't know each other. So creating an atmosphere of trust and creativity and teamwork quickly up front, I think is really important. I think if an actor thinks that you're getting at them when you start correcting them, you're in for, uh, life is not going to be easy for either of you. Hmm. So I would say, you know, making sure that you are putting the reader at ease um, and making them feel comfortable before you start and then just checking in with them, making sure that, you know, you ask them regularly if they need water or tea or a a break for the loo or if they just feel the walls are closing in on them and they need five minutes to clear their heads and stretch. You know, it's easy to forget if you're getting absorbed in a story. Hmm. So you basically have to nurture the voice actors that you're working with. Yes. You're like their mom taking care of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It can be easy to forget that and just think of it as the voice and forget there's a real person on the other side of the glass. You need to listen out for if their mouths are getting dry, if they're starting to click, because if they're clicking when they talk some poor editor is going to have to cut all those out afterwards and that's going to add to your editing time but if you don't take them out it's really distracting and as a listener you start listening Mm. for the clicks rather than to what they're saying so drinking a lot of water is good eating green apple can help um, lubricate a, a dry mouth so having some slices of green apple is good having some bananas on hand in case people's stomachs go off is good Having a cushion in the studio that you can give the actor to hug if their stomach starts to go off is oh, a really important thing. That's a thing. very <laughs> clever tip. <laughs> yeah, gurgling, gurgling stomachs, which can be because they're hungry, can be because they've just eaten, can be uh, because of what they ate last night, can just be from taking in lots of oxygen as they read um, and just building up air pockets inside. But there's, people's stomachs could go off like mad and you can't cut those out from underneath speech. I know that feeling. I have had some embarrassing <laughs> moments. <laughs> yeah, so a, ni- a, nice big, a nice big sofa cushion that they can hug. Um, won't, it won't um, completely negate the problem, but it will definitely get rid of about 70% of the, of the, of the quieter ones. So uh, so you're listening, you're not just listening to what they're saying, you're listening through what they're saying to what else the audience might hear. Um, so you need to monitor what they're wearing. If they're wearing really noisy, um, crisp white shirt, which is often the case with journalists or you know, people mm-hmm. who are not, not actors and are doing nonfiction books and they come in in a suit or a or a, a crisp linen shirt. So there must be a dress code for coming into the yeah, recording well, studio. Is, yes, absolutely. Yes. So comfortable and quiet. Um, I would say, you know, anything. Uh, don't wear dangly earrings. Uh, don't wear a loud watch. Um, just think, you know, basically, is anything that you are wearing likely to make a noise? And if it is, find an alternative. 
Um, because what we're doing in audio, is, as well as this contract of trust I talked about earlier, um, we're creating um, pure sound. We don't want to hear anything except the voice. Yeah. Um, and that is why it's been a nightmare for everybody under lockdown. During lockdown, I had to stop recording because there was a pigeon on the roof of the reader's bedroom, um, which wouldn't leave. And she was recording in her wardrobe and we could hear the pigeon in the background. And that meant that, you know, when somebody was listening to this tragic death scene on their headphones in six months time, they would hear the pigeon at the back. And you don't want that. Definitely. So you need... Uh, <laughs> you need to be checking constantly as the director, not only the content of what, of the reading, but the environment of the reading as well to make sure there's nothing that's going to distract the listener later. You know, make sure that you have got your pronunciation list ready in advance, that you've sent it to your actor in advance, ideally, um, that you've got pronunciation dictionaries that you might need, that you've got, um, you know, if you're, if you're recording from home, I would switch your router off and on again in good time so that you've got the best chance of a good internet connection. So as actors go, I would say make sure you eat well beforehand but don't eat just before don't arrive at the studio eating a croissant because that means your stomach will go off and don't eat so far beforehand that you're hungry again by the time you get there porridge is a good one because it's a slow release um and bring some nuts or banana or stuff that you can just snack on if your stomach starts to go off these are all very good advice that um, a coach would give to an elite athlete yeah absolutely like when they have to run a marathon yes Absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, you're right, because an audiobook is like a marathon. You're working for eight hours in a in straight, like running for four hours straight. You are you you know, it's it's a very concentrated way of working. So you do have to treat yourself like an athlete, absolutely. The last thing that you would want for a voice actor is uh to strain their voice and to lose their voice yes. early on in the recording process. Oh, a nightmare, a nightmare, yeah, because, because you know, you will hear it. And as I said, then the trust is broken. As the voice starts to go, you start to hear the actor instead of the reader, you know. They really need to do their own vocal exercise. Oh, that's another, another thing, yes. <clears throat> to go back to what you said before about, um, you know, what advice to give actors in advance. Yeah. I said that, you know, we don't have rehearsal time. We don't have time to do bends and stretches and throwing <laughs> balls around. It's really, really important that an actor does a vocal warm up before they come to the studio. And it's not just the voice, it's the muscles around the mouth. It's the articulators. Because if you haven't, then the first 15 minutes of your reading is going to be pretty useless as the voice warms up and the mouth gets more mobile. Yeah. So lip flutters and yawns and stretches and sticking your tongue out and all those things. Make sure your face is completely woken up before you get to the studio. That's a really important point. Like doing a warm up before you go for a run. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And because you mentioned early in our conversation about the character description and the pronunciation guide. So I understand that mm -hmm. this is the producer's job to provide all of this. Um, no, I would say that the act is the actor's job to do this. However, long experience has taught me that they don't hmm. often. And therefore, you need to do it on the assumption that the actor might not have. Um, I, I always I mean, I know some actors who are brilliant, who do all their own pronunciation research and I love them to pieces hmm. and I use them because they they make your life easy. Well, they put that, you know, the work that they are supposed to be doing, they put in. But I've had enough experience of people turning up and going, oh, I didn't know how to pronounce that. And you said, well, why didn't you ring them up and ask them? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I would say it's the actor's job to certainly to do the character scratches. I would expect an actor to read a book they were going to record at least twice, ideally three times. The first time just to read it, second time to prep it. And if there is time, a third time to make sure that the prep that they've done is enough for the reading. Um, you know, as they go through it again, have they answered all their own questions? Now, a lot of people don't have enough time to do that, particularly if it's a sort of near to studio booking. They haven't got that much time. But I would at least expect them to do it twice, read it and then go back and work through and prep it. Yeah. If a voice actor has never read an audiobook before and gets a booking, mm-hmm. what would be your advice on how to best prep for the session if this is their first ever audiobook? Okay, my my first piece of advice would be don't underestimate it. I think particularly with professional actors, they go, oh, well, it's just reading. I read all the time. I read to my children. I read to my partner. I I used to like reading aloud at school. I spend my whole time reading scripts or, you know, that's what I do. It is not the same thing at all. It's a whole different ball game. Um, and if you just assume you'll be able to turn up on the day and and do it even if you are the world's greatest sight reader if you don't put the work in you can't do your best job on the day um i have heard time and again when i've picked an actor up on a on a mistake um and they've gone oh i was hoping i'd get away with that and you think well why <laughs> if you knew it was wrong why did you hope you'd get away with it if you're doing a show for two for two weeks and you make a mistake one night you can do it right the next night Um, but here you've got one shot at recording this, which is going to be there forever and available around the world. Why would you want to, in inverted commas, get away with it? Why would you not want it to be right? Um, so that is something that I do frown on. Um, you know, if you're aware you've made a mistake, then we stop and we fix it. You don't just hope I didn't notice because <laughs> it's in the end. I'm not the one who's going to look stupid. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm, that's the other thing I think that just need to remember that the director's on their side. It is not an ego trip for the director to go, look, I'm cleverer than you because I spotted your mistake. It's going, I'm the first person who's heard this reading. I'm the second pair of ears. And I can tell you that you just did mispronounce that. So let's do it again and get it right. You're not doing it to, you know, it's not a power game. You're there to help. Yeah. So I would say, um, number one, prep it, even if it's a straightforward, Um, even if it's a Mills and Boone, you know, there is a style to reading a Mills and Boone book. There is, a, you know, there, there is a structure to it. There will be words that need checking. There will be, are you sure you know whether it's Mercedes or Mercedes for the heroine? You know, the, the name <laughs> even might need checking. And you go, oh, it's just a, you know, it's just a pot boiler, Mills and Boone. I don't need to, you know, I'll just do that in a day. No problem. If you haven't bothered to read it in advance, you cannot give your best performance Why would you not want to give your best performance when you are an actor? And the other thing is, you know, think about character voices. If you're, if you've got, um, you know, a, a range of characters, this is another reason for prepping and reading ahead. You know, if you give a really big, deep voice, <coughs> see, that's made me cough already, <laughs> to a character in the first chapter who then turns out to be in 15 of the remaining 26 chapters, You're going to have destroyed your voice by three o'clock. You, so you've got to think, okay, well, how could I make him sound big and fat without putting that scrape in that's going to ruin my voice? So you have to think technically about how much is a particular character going to speak 
Well, a good voice actor should really know that. Yeah. And how much of a risk with your voice can you take? They go through an extensive training. Exactly. And if you're not a professional voice actor, don't be over optimistic about what you can do. You know, be sensible and choose a way of doing it that does is sustainable rather than trying to let off a box of fireworks and end up losing your voice halfway through the reading because in the end it's about serving the book as best you can as a reader so don't be over ambitious but on the other hand don't be over arrogant and assume that you know I'm good at sight reading I don't need to prep this it's just a book because I would say that of all forms of acting audio is the purest because there is nothing between you and the audience except a pair of ears. So people, it's a very intimate way of working. We as listeners can hear what a character is thinking and how they're feeling, even when they're not speaking. Whereas on stage or on film, unless there's voiceover, you can only, you can only trust what they choose to say to you. You're not getting the overview that you get with a book. Yeah. But also, uh, you know, of audio book, of audio dramas and things, I would say that, you know, the pinnacle of the mountain is an audio book where you are the only person. You are the whole production. You are all the voices. You are the narrator. You are creating the entire world by yourself for somebody else. And it's very, very, very easy to underestimate how demanding and difficult that yeah. is to do well. I want to take uh, your attention away from the narration now and back mm-hmm. to the overall production schedule and workflow. How much time does it take to produce one hour of finished audio for audiobooks, which includes casting, preparation, recording, editing, mastering the files, quality assurance check? That's a very good question, and I can't answer it as, <laughs> as a, with a pat answer because it depends on how good the reader is, how difficult the narration is, Um, how long it took to record that hour, whether you got your first choice of casting or had to fish around for several days. You know, there there are so many factors um, involved that it's impossible to to answer that with a a neat answer. What I can say is that um, a good rule of thumb for studio time is um, it's roughly... Ten and a half thousand words to an hour of finished recording, and you are aiming for about three and a half hours of finished audio in an eight and a ten till six days session. So you're looking at roughly thirty three thousand words a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what used to be three CDs in CD days. <laughs> Um, um, a CD held about ten to 11,000 words and was about 70 minutes. Uh, so you could get three CDs done in a day. That, If you take out time for breaks, that's roughly takes six and a half hours to make three and a half hours of, of edited, recorded audio in terms of studio time. Um, but again, you know, um, publishers often underestimate this, particularly with nonfiction. Nonfiction takes longer to read and is harder because it's written often by academics. It's written not to be read aloud. It's often got lots of words like paradigmatical and words on one page yeah, or, or just, you know, <laughs> just difficult words that one has to look up and then read with authority. I recently did a, an academic introduction that was only 50 pages, but took five hours. Um, and the reader was a good reader, but it was just turgid and 
difficult to to make flow actually to be fair it was four hours but it, it was you know they had allowed two and it took twice as long as they thought because they'd gone by word count and not by level of difficulty oh, and that's the wrong approach yeah exactly when audible did all their their recent complete dickens collection i believe every single book overran by a couple of days because again it had been done by word count and not by the fact that it was victorian language and nine nine line sentences and you know it's not the same as reading a straightforward jolly beach book you know you can't do it by word count yeah. alone so to wrap it up each book will have a different time frame yes yes but the but the figure i gave you is a very good rule of thumb uh, i can't tell you how long it takes i mean you know obviously prepping the geopolitics of the south china sea which i obviously you can tell i did it because i keep mentioning it but you know that was nine pages of pronunciations with um for 12 wow. different countries everything from fiji to to hong kong to to chinese coast to th th there were different countries there were names places incredible so that took days to put together <laughs> to be an audiobook narrator you really need to love reading books but also you really need to love doing the preparation work yes um to do all the research yes i guess the same applies to being a producer yes absolutely absolutely yes because it can be um uh, hard work and sometimes you know you have to think laterally there there are some very good online um resources uh, where you can get a lot of what you need Um, but not always are the words you need to check um, available for, you know, just one-stop research. And, you know, I've I've been into Turkish cafes. I've been to the Polish embassy. I've been on the phone to a Buddhist monk. I've rung a funeral parlor in Scotland. I've rung a go-karting club in Cornwall to get, wow. to get the right pronunciation of particular places or names. Wow, it's um, like you're hunting. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But, you know, you have to because you can't just um, hope for the best. Your responsibility is to be accurate for the listener because that goes back to that contract of trust. They're trusting you to be right. Hmm. So, yes, you can't. It, it's not a job for a lazy actor or director, producer. It, you know, you can't just turn up on the day and go, yeah, well, I'll just hit record and you get on with it and <laughs> then we'll go to the pub. I mean, you still have to check stuff during during recordings there's always going to be things you missed or places where what an actor pronounces something one way and you pronounce it another and you have an argument over which is right and then you have to go online and check it you know um so you uh, you will never catch everything in your prep but the more prep you've done in advance the more you will enjoy and have a smooth studio session fantastic and i'm curious to know do you listen to audiobooks in your spare time produced by other producers and what does inspire you in other people's work Yeah, I, I do occasionally. At, at the moment, I tend to listen more to podcasts than audiobooks. How interesting. Just because I'm I'm quite new to podcasts, so I'm sort of ex enjoying exploring them. But I haven't, I've barely watched the television this year, um, partly because I'm trying to get my piano playing up again after a long time without. And I never remember till after supper, so which is the time to watch the television. So, <laughs> um, but I tend also to turn to sound before bed rather than vision. So I'll listen to podcast or I'll listen to BBC Sounds to a, or to a, a comedy show or to a or to a bit of an audio book. 
I find it it's it's more relaxing and also it's more personal you know when when you look when you're watching the telly you're watching either a drama or a or a conversation or whatever it might be happening in front of you and you can observe it but you aren't included mm-hmm. when you listen to people having a conversation like this one you as the audience become the third participant in the conversation you're not left out yeah in the same way that having a, a visible screen between you i think um disconnects you from what you're what you're watching definitely audio creates more intimate experience yeah i'll just tell you what the the big thing for me and it's a it's a note that i'm constantly giving in studio is a, an audiobook that works for me is when the narrator is talking to me and not at me If you understand the difference between that, then that will make you a good audiobook reader. That's a very good point. Fantastic. <laughs> Giving away all my trade secrets. <laughs> How lucky we are. Just to wrap this up, I would like to ask you two last questions. Sure. The first would be, how can people enhance their listening experience? Um, by enhance, do you mean lie in, lie in a bubble bath with candles? <laughs> anything <laughs> well like you said you know one of the nice things as people have started to adopt audiobooks as a thing that they actually choose to do um as a as a as a specific form of entertainment um there you can listen to them anyway you know you can listen to them while you're ironing you can listen to them while you're driving you can listen to them while you're jogging you can listen to them in bed um i would say you know the better the speakers the better the experience so i would say invest if you're going to listen on headphones invest in a really good pair of headphones so that you get the full richness of the actor's voice another thing i would say is obviously not if you're driving or ironing but i really find that closing my eyes helps to listen i think that if you if you take away one sense the others are enhanced so if if you listen to an audiobook with your eyes closed you will get a more intense and direct experience I do that when I listen to podcasts and music. Well, there you are, you see. Yes. It helps me to immerse myself in the world of audio. Absolutely. So I would say that. Final question. What are the most challenging and the most fulfilling aspects of your job? Uh, I would say um, the most challenging aspects are probably the fact that one is constantly clock watching. You have a certain amount of time in studio to do the book that you've got and you as the producer are responsible for making sure that you finish within that time so that can be frustrating <laughs> when you're having good chats and hearing good gossip and <laughs> enjoying yourself over coffee and you have to go right no we've got to get back so that you and and that also means making decisions in studio about letting things go that you might like to do again um, but you just know that you don't have the time to go back over So I would say time management is a big one. Yeah. And 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 self time management and self-restraint. Yes, those are challenges. I would say unprepared actors turn your job into a nightmare very quickly. Um because you still have to deliver the recording somehow. Bad writing. <laughs> uh bad writing is much harder to direct than good writing. You've and the trouble is and you've got to learn to both direct and read without judgment. Hmm. Because you have not been asked your opinion on the work you're recording. You are there to record on behalf of the author. So even if it's the worst book ever written, 
you've got to read it with mm. full commitment and care. And that can be very difficult when it's not good stuff. Noisy stomachs, nose squeaks, <laughs> uh, you know, it sounds an actor who's physically makes noises <laughs> that you can't stop. That's challenging. Um, and then technology, failing tech, you know, uh, internet connections dropping, power cuts. I once lost 50 minutes of a Charles Dickens book because someone drilled through a cable in the road oh, outside. No. You know, there are things that you can't that they're out of your hands you can't control yes exactly there are acts of god and things that you mm. just go you know what it's only radio it's not brain surgery no one's <laughs> going to die if we don't finish this it's just going to be much more expensive and everyone's going to be cross so, <laughs> you know. uh, so those are challenges as far as fulfilling i would say um the variety of the job is great you know no two no two jobs are the same um unless you're doing 47 volumes of the ice people <laughs> and even there each but each book is different um i would say uh the autonomy the independence of working it's just the two of you you and the reader creating this work together you haven't got lots of other people involved it's a very small tight team i would say most of the nicest people in showbiz work in audio because there isn't time to be uh difficult diva you know we've got we've got to come in at 10 o'clock and leave at six with this recorded so let's work with people who are kind of <laughs> reasonable and pleasant and amenable and can get it done um i'd say the thrill of um creating theater out of thin air instant theater out of thin air with it you know it's very much improvisation and front foot acting and it's not rehearsal it's did you hear a line and you go, yes, that's it. Or no, if we did it once more like that, I think it would, yes, that's it. You know, you're, you're, you're creating as a team. It's a double act between, or the best books, I think, are a double act between director and reader. It's like a duet. And that's really creatively satisfying. And that's why to be a good narrator, you also need to be a good and likable person <laughs> to be able to create that contract yeah. of trust. And I would say, actually, one other thing, that to be a good narrator and to be a good director, you need to be a really good listener. You can't, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as the actor, you need to listen to the notes that you're getting back and to understand them and to be able to transform in response. And as a, as a director, you need to listen all the time because if you take your eye off the ball for a second, there will be a misread. Um, there's it's it's and then you've got to come back and do pickups which nobody is a fan of um but you cannot put take your foot off the gas if you do you'll miss something without a doubt well if you work in audio it's a prerogative to be a good listener <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well thank you so much for this uh fantastic chat you're so welcome i hope some of it was useful it was really useful and packed with so much insightful uh, information with so much tips and advice and trade secrets <laughs> <laughs> thank you well it's a pleasure to talk about something you love and i'm lucky to have a job that i do love so it's it's been a pleasure to share with you thank you so much Thompson. it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you you're welcome, Julia. You've been listening to the Chatterbox Hub podcast through the lens of a producer, an in-depth guide to the audiobook production with Tamsin Collison. You can find more about the show on Podbean or Chatterbox Voices website. If you haven't yet listened to the other episodes, go to Apple or Google Podcasts, Amazon Music or Spotify, where you can subscribe, rate and review this podcast. Join me next month for another in-depth conversation about all things audio and not only. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.